Hi, it's Dan. And I'm Mike. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the shows this season. This is our 20th episode, Mike. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy the number of countries that uh, listeners are tuning 29, in from. 29 countries. You know, we, the movies that we love are getting the attention that they deserve. We had a great episode on Parasite, which is really our, our bestseller. So. Yeah, no, that was our bestseller. So let me ask you this, Mike. What do you think our second most listened to episode was on? If you had uh, a guess. Million Dollar Baby? No, it was our third. Our second was, by a nose, was The Godfather. Ah, uh, so deser- deserved it. Deserved it, absolutely. So we just want to say thank you to everybody. Please follow the show at 15minutefilm, at 15minfilm on Twitter. Make sure to like us or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So let us know what, we want to, what you want us to do for season two. We're going to do a bonus episode about that soon, um, about what we plan on doing for season two. But certainly we'd love your ideas. So thank you so much. This is so much fun. We hope you're having fun. And thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, a podcast where two friends talk about movies for the first time. Today, we're going to be talking about a great, great film. I think it's a great film anyway, called The Dinner, the 2014 version, not the 2017 remake um, with Steve Coogan and Richard Gere, which by all accounts is terrible, but the 2014 Italian film based upon the novel by Herman Koch. Um, Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, because we're going to be giving away a lot of stuff. But um, I had seen it once before, and I watched it again for the podcast. Mike, you watched it just for the podcast. So you want to go first? you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I thought that there were a couple of really interesting things happening here. And, and the first is the way in which you're manipulated, in the, and I mean that in the best way, to care about certain characters. And then once a relationship has been established, and it's, it's thought to be the same relationship uh, throughout the entire audience, how the nature of that relationship changes, uh, which is a fancy way of saying yeah, what do you he, mean he, gets you, he gets you to care about certain characters and then gets you to kind of walk over and see them from a different angle. And that, that's both for better and for worse, depending on which characters you're talking about, but w- whether you're talking about Paolo or Massimo. Um, yeah, absolutely. Wives. Absolutely. I mean, it's a great, it's a great um, judo trick or judo throw, I guess, that the movie does with you, right? Because you, you keep thinking, you know, it's Paolo's movie. And then it, it becomes Masibo's movie. And it, it's great how, in the, you know, the, the movie um, courts your relationship with Paolo. He's, he's a great yes. doctor, right? He's a healer. He makes jokes all the time. And Massimo is just this self-indulgent, um, you know, he's the stereotypical lawyer, I guess. And Paolo's the stereotypical, um, of course, he's a children's doctor, yes. right? To make him even more likable, right? He does the magic trick. He does this, the scarf trick with the little Stefano, the kid who's blind in the beginning. Yes. And then Massimo's got, how great is it that he's got pictures of himself and his new wife over his bed those are wonderful so uh, the the only my only criticism of that is that uh <laughs> is that it, it's taking place in front of a really emotional and deeply compelling scene so the, the director is obviously trying to change your relationship to massimo when you see those two pictures right um but the, the pictures themselves are so wonderful it's, it's as though he's saying yes go ahead care about them take an interest in them uh but don't get comfortable because well, there's even- a lot of weirdness here Right. But even then, remember that they come back. You only see the pictures because they're in the bedroom. Right. Because presumably they've just made love after that terrible conversation. Right. So, that, so Paula goes home and he's all distraught and throwing stuff around and they go, the other ones go home and have sex. Right. <laughs> well, and, um, and, but not but not in a it's, it's not supposed to be an indulgent way. You're, what, what you're supposed to you're supposed to see one couple as totally distant from one another and one couple connecting. Yes. You know, and it just well, happens yeah. to be in that, you know. In that, in that kind of way, um, I, I don't know if you think you're, you think your kid like killed a homeless person, you'd be, 
you'd be in the mood for love or something. No, well, the, there, there's that, but I, the the effect of Paolo in this movie reminded me of like if you followed uh, Mr. Rogers off the set and into the local bar. You know, <laughs> just so there's just certain ways in which you do not want to see p- people that you like, and and you're right. You know, there, there's right. a lot of two dimensional ways in which I think the director gets you to relate to characters. So you mentioned one, which is Paolo is a pediatrician. And, you know, of course he is. Um, And then, you know, Massimo's wife is, you're you're supposed to think that she's just utterly awful. You know, Mm -hmm. you you see her sitting on the couch, smoking a cigarette by herself, and she has a nanny to tend to the baby, (laughs) Uh you know? So there's, there's all those kind of kicking the puppy moments. Um, And I think that part of that blocked me from connecting with the film at first, because I thought, Oh, oh, I see. I'm supposed to care. Yeah. I'm supposed to think this about a character. And then not even halfway through, I would call it a third of the way through as some of the perspective starts to change on those characters. You think, oh, there's something much more clever going on here. Uh, that's and that's exactly what Ivano Damateo, the director, wants you to do. He I think the great thing about this is you're invited to feel superior to Massimo just like Paolo does, right? There's one part where he goes into the restaurant and they, he says something like, um, or someone says like, he, I think it's in the restaurant the first time he says, someone says you're short or something. He says, I'm the right size. It's my brother that's abnormal. Yeah. So Paolo, he measures himself. He measures his own goodness against the presumed shallowness of his brother, right? I'm right. He's the one that's wrong. And he says to him at one point, like, you were you always an asshole or something like that. Yeah, what he said when the two brothers are going fishing. Yeah. Uh, Massimo says to Paolo, I didn't want you to think I was a piece of shit. And yeah. Paul says, of course you're a piece of shit. Yeah, right. And he really believes that, right? He really believes that. Like he's, he's um, of course, there's the great scene where he's telling his brother, like, how can you defend the cop that shot the guy? That right. Get into my, uh, my room and stuff like that. So I, you're totally right to believe it. And it reminds me of, um, if you ever read the story, I'm sure you have, um, the story, um, Everything That Rises Must Converge by Flannery O'Connor. Yes. Right? Now, th- this is one of her great moves is that when you read that story, it's about this young uh, failed writer, Julian, on this bus with his mother, who's like this old, you know, um, character of a racist. And you're invited to side with Julian and, and feel superior to her. But then something happens in the story. And then all of a sudden, everything gets turned upside down. And, and Julian was giving her lectures on morality. But it turns out he's the one that needs those lectures. And I think something very similar is going on here. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I also thought of um, James Dickey's novel To the White Sea, which I know, which oh, I know you like. Book. Which is about that's a great ostensibly book. Uh, an American soldier caught behind enemy lines uh, in Japan. And then the, the question as you, your relationship changes with this first person narration that's coming at you yes. is uh, who's the enemy and whose lines? Uh, and it, it, gets very, it gets very confusing. Uh, but in, again, in the best way, in a, in a way that gives you vertigo and doesn't let you know where you stand morally um, or relationally to, to what's going on. And I, I think that that is 100 percent what's going on in this film. We, we've talked about yeah. other films like that. I, you know, we had an episode on Parasite and, and a yep. few other films. Um, and I, I think it's done brilliantly here. Yeah. And that, and that manipulation is it's a great feeling to be manipulated like that. Yes. Again, we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times. It makes you feel like you're in good hands. Manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll see you in segment two. Okay. Welcome back. So in our second segment, we like to look at our big scenes or indicative moments that reveal the themes of the film as a whole. So Dan, I know you have a big moment that you want to get started with. Yeah, I love this part. I love this part of the show. So my moment for this one is the moment where, and it's a, it's a, it's a very tiny, almost throwaway moment, but I thought it was really, really skillfully done, is when, as we talked about how like the, the position, the relationship of the viewer to the two brothers starts to change, right? It's the part where you see Massimo go to his dead wife's gravesite and put the flowers down. 
and he changes mm-hmm. the flowers out because at first at first you almost might, might think like well, whose grave is that like because you wonder like you know the, the difference in ages of his kids between Benny and the, and the baby you're kind of like oh is she is his second wife like a trophy wife mm-hmm. or what's going on and then you see him at the grave and for a split second you th- I thought to myself at least um well who's he going to is that the grave of the of the of the mm-hmm. tramp and you're like no no it's not and then you look at the name and I think that's a great moment because it, it's it seems like it's uncharacteristic of him in the beginning, but it shows you that he well, actually does have a, a conscience and that he does have absolutely. Life. But I, it's it's totally indicative because if you remember what Paolo's wife says about him, she says uh, he's an he's an obsessive he's a monster. Comp- she 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 says he's an obsessive compulsive. He says we he, we go yeah. to the same restaurant um, every month yep. on the same night, and then you can see that the the dead flowers that he takes away are like a carbon copy of the yep. live flowers that he puts. So he gets the same flowers all the time and the, the sense of routine is there so just i think just to kind of grind it in a little bit you're you're forced to reckon with the idea that he has been that way the entire time he did not change you you changed right or the the way that he's yeah exactly has changed right yeah like the director changes what he's going to show you about him you're right because um clara tells paolo oh, your brother's a, she says your brother's right. a maniac clara. that's when they have the whole thing about him being obs- yeah clara says um he's a maniac and of course like since you're on their side so to speak in the beginning you side well, with them and it's not just on their side it, you're you're brilliantly taken into their confidence by spending way too much time with them without without <laughs> right. even knowing it and i think the, the intended right. effect of that is to look at other people and go do i like you or do i spend a lot of time with you yeah you know and what and you're only you're only see you only see them at their best. That's right. Like like I I thought of when I watched this, and I'll let you do your moment. I promise. But I thought of you when I watched it again because I thought of how um how we talked when we did our homicide show. How you actually get to see Joe Montana be a great right. cop. Like in this one, you actually get to see him be a good doctor. Like he has great bedside manner. He's so good with with um, Stefano's mother. Um, he and then so when he starts to lose it a little and get short with her when he's discharging Stefano, you're kind of like upset. You're like, I can't believe it. But you're just seeing the same guy. Just that's in a right. Way. You see him on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday. You know, and for for us, right. it's not it's not whether our you know kids are going to be indicted. You know, it's whether like how long the Starbucks line was. <laughs> But, right. uh, so what's your moment so what's your my moment? moment is we've talked a lot about the ways in which the director shifts the perspective uh, between the two brothers um but i spent a lot of time when you told me to watch this movie I, I watched the trailer three or four times and the impression that the trailer and the the beginning of the movie wants to give you is that michele is crazy yes but there's a moment when he what, he is crazy but not as crazy as his cousin when he when he <laughs> and his cousin benny are in the they're in the baby's room and they're overheard um talking yes. about the, the moment and instead of you know being filled with remorse or whispering at each other they're they're thinking that was such a rush we almost set her on fire uh yeah and you realize yeah. that um you know massimo is, is afraid of benny because Mik, you know it i think michele is uh is disturbed in in yep. his life he really cri- he really cries benny does not cry she gets angry. Yes. She bullies people like a sociopath. She manipulates her father. She goes and hangs out with her, with her friends. And her responses to these things are totally different. And I think that what you're, the, the movie sets you up for a movie about a, a violent male cousin who just can't help himself. You know, he's just got to beat somebody up. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really about manipulation by this, by this one woman who, a, a girl really, who really has her clutches in her, in her cousin. Um, who is also sick. He's not, he's by no means, um, he's by no means innocent, but the sense is that he enjoys it less and, or, or that he's a yeah. vehicle. And I think that that it was such a weird moment where you, you, 
I could sense that the movie was doing it with the brothers. And of course, um, you know, like everybody else, I was like, I'm sure that my opinions of other people are relatively stable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> despite, despite right. having, uh, having everything. Fl- I'm a good judge right, of character. Despite having everything flipped upside down. I mean, you go, oh, Massimo's going to turn her in because he's yeah. afraid of her. Yeah, that's a great, that's very good, Mike, because, you know, the couple things, first of all, Mikolai couldn't, he, he, doesn't he remind you of Alex and Clockwork yes. Orange? I mean, just as terrifying, just as creepy looking, um, and, and all of the, but there's also that theme where in the beginning, remember, they're together, they're watching videos of people punching yes. each other on, on you know, YouTube, and that's kind of creepy, and, but that great moment where Massimo was listening to them through the baby yeah. monitor, and you feel for him. Because he's sitting there, and you're like, oh, he's realizing like how little he knows his own kid, and and then when he takes um, Paolo to the beach, and they're standing there, and he says, I don't think that's what happened. Like, I think my kid's yeah. lying. Because every other thing about the movie is, remember when Clara goes to see um, Nicolay's teacher, and he's like, don't make excuses. We all make excuses for our mm-hmm. kids, and she just starts making excuses like one after the <laughs> other. Like, um, she goes, oh, it's a difficult age, or um, maybe he's too shy. But um, Massimo doesn't make excuses for his no. daughter. He he knows it. He yeah. knows exactly who. Who she is? It's Paolo who who basically tells Massimo that he's blind in the beginning of the movie. You know, he yes. says you you can you can just do your job and you don't care who you're representing. And it turns out that Massimo all along is a really fantastic judge of character and knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, well said, well said. Okay, I'll see you okay. in segment three. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, and welcome back to our conversation about the dinner. In our third part, we always like to talk about the ending, and that certainly will be something we'll have to discuss here. But we also talk about our overall takeaways from the movie. So, Mike, I want to start with, like, not a statement, but a question. And it's a, it, I'm going to hit you. And it's a question that I thought was a good question to ask after I got done watching it. It was this. There's the four leads, right? But there's also the, um, the, two, the yeah. two kids. Especially for the four leads, though, you could start. Here's my question. What does each person think that the story is about? Oh, that is good. Right? Like, what does, like, so if you asked, if you asked Massimo, what is this movie about? What would his answer be? You know, what would Clara's answer be? What would Paolo's answer be? What would Sophia's answer be? So, so like, how would you answer I, that? I think if you're talking about the scene at the very end of the movie where everybody has, everybody sure. has all the, all the information and everybody's talking at like, yeah. I, I, I take that to be the titular dinner, like the dinner. Um, right. The, there's a separation between the two groups into the two marriages. And I think that Paolo and Clara very much feel like it, there is something happening to them and not necessarily uh, to Nicolet. I think that's why Clara, mm-hmm. you know, Clara falls down when she realizes that it must be him. You know, she, she yes. falls down literally like she's having an, an episode um, because there's something happening to them. And I think that for Massimo and his wife, there's something going on with the kids and they're trying to sort it out. And I think that that there's, there's some kind of difference yeah. in, in the ownership of the ordeal and Paolo and Clara take, yeah. 
personally as though like we tried to put this life together and now look what happened to us versus the the way that uh, his brother and his wife uh, look at it. Yeah, because the way that Paolo becomes unhinged, like he would say, this is a story about me doing anything I can to protect yes. my son, who is still a good kid. Like, he's still in denial, right? It reminded me of in Godfather 2 when, when Diane Keaton says, uh, look at Anthony. And he was like, there's nothing wrong with Anthony. She's like, there is something wrong with Anthony. Like, there's certainly something wrong with Mikole. But, but you know, um, Pal is not Michael Corleone, right? And so if you asked Massimo what the movie's about, he would say, it's about my brother you know, denying reality mm. when I've actually, I have to accept it. It's terrible. And if yes, you know, Clara and um, Sophia clearly don't like each other. Right. So each of them, it will be the story of the other one foolishly mm. trying to hang on to, a, a, you know, an image mm-hmm. of their kid. I, so anyway, I just thought it was, I think, and I think the movie, like it does a great job with the tension between that question mm. about, you know, each character thinking the movie's about something else. I have a, uh, I have a um, question for you. Sure. Who's the older brother? Huh. Well, I, you, uh, wow, I didn't think of that at all. I assume it's Massimo. You think it's Massimo, but I think that in the fishing story uh, that they're telling, it sounds like Paolo is much older uh, with, with the boat and that Massimo was his younger brother because it's the story of two, um, two, two, te- Massimo yeah, throws two the teenagers rock. that are dragging along the little yeah. brother and all the little brother can think to do in the middle of the night because he wants to hang out with the two of them is throw uh, stones in the water. But that, yep. that bugged me. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't swallow that my in my brain any other way but that. But you're right; it does seem like Mospo is the is the older brother, um, but yeah. I, I don't think that that can be the case. No, it's not. That's a great point. That's a great point because my yeah, exactly, exactly. That's interesting. That so you you ascribe all of these built-in qualities to like the older sibling and the little brother, right. and you think you know these people and you right. Don't. And, but it gives. It, I think it shades back something interesting about the way that Paolo characterizes his brother and where the moral judgment comes yeah. from. You know, if you're yeah. supposed to be mentored by that person, um, but it, it, he's got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, he does. He does. So what did, what did you make of the ending? Did we talk about the great yeah, last the, shot or what? You know, what, what when the tires the squeal. Last, the, the tires squeals. like, I don't know if you had this experience, um, but as a young man, I saw um, the end of the first Lord of the Rings uh, in the movie theater, like in 2001 yeah. with a bunch of people that did sure. not know the plot. <laughs> and so the final shot is Frodo and Sam standing there and then the credits come up it's like you know directed by and then a bunch of people freaked out and they were like there's no way that this movie can possibly end here and I think um, as a viewer my reaction was very similar but if this does close I mean like I think the joke of Lord of the Rings is it could end at a million different moments, right? But it's just, if you don't sure. know the story, if you don't know the novels, you just think, well, that's it. Like, if you know the novels, you're like, oh, he's got to, like, stop soon. I, the end of it, or it reminded me of, um, we, did you see No Country for Old oh, Men yes. in the movies? So when Tommy Lee Jones says, like, oh, then, and then I, I woke, woke up. up. <laughs> and then says, like, yeah, directed by Joel Ethan <laughs> Cohen. Everyone's like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here, right? Well, I think those are different because those movies almost, like, they stop. Like, oh, this movie kind of stops too, I guess. But it, it I mean... We don't know what happens after the after he runs him over. Like, does we don't even know if like does Massimo die? Yes. We don't know. So, but it's about the moment. I think the movie's about like what brings this brother to so this the, moment. I, I completely agree, and I think that that ties in to your question earlier into the the actual motive um, for let's call it a murder. But you're right, we don't we don't know what right. happens. But I, I was caught between between two things, and they are: Do you think it was simply an act of rage, or do you think that there's any way to keep this quiet with Massimo out of the picture. In other words, if it's an act of protection for Mikolay, is it effective? 
Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I assumed it was an act of rage. Yeah, me, me too. Because I think when he gets there, he has no idea that his brother's going to say, we have to report them. Right. He, that, that's the last thing he expects. And he's already angry with his brother. He still thinks it's Benny's fault. He won't look at any blame on his own kid. And so I just think it's a total, it's a total spontaneous in act his, of rage. In his defense, it is Benny's fault. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, it takes two to tango. It takes two. To, it takes two to drag a, a tramp across the street. And yeah. No. I, I, I. And I agree that there there can be no way that. Uh, I don't think that there's any. If anything, they're like the guys in rope. Yes. If anything, they're like okay. the guys in rope. Yeah. <laughs> but one of them is stronger, and one of them is a sociopath. But the, you know, the, the other the other part of this is I I don't think Paolo could have premeditated that. And uh, the, you can't you can't think to yourself, okay, I'll just park around the corner. No. And wait. Wait till he comes. No, he didn't. I don't think so at all. I just think because because the first time you see the movie, you don't you don't you don't see that coming by a mile. You could be the most you know uh, perceptive uh, literary or film critic. You'll never see that coming. I only knew. So you're right, but I only knew something was up when she. Nobody goes back into the restaurant for for their purse after that scene. You know, they, it, yeah. they something. I knew something was yeah, going yeah. on. But yeah. no, no, not. But you, you didn't expect that was one brother's going to try to run the other one. No, over. even if I had thought it was something else, uh, which I which I didn't, I wouldn't have seen yeah. Car. Yeah, it's the per- it's the perfect ending. It's and I and I tried to think to myself again. We've talked on this show about like elegant plot twists and like when are things too convoluted? Like it, like we talked about in Knives right. Out. Does it get too? I said it got too much to the point where I just said, "Okay, fine, I agree with you," but I can't do all the math in my head. And I was trying to think, like, what's another? What's another movie like this that has a perfect thing at the end? At the very end, like even Chinatown, there's still another like five mm-hmm. minutes before she gets shot, which is actually another great plot twist, right? But you know what I thought of? I thought of on Homicide, is when he gets the thing that's his oh, brofaz, yeah. And I thought to my, that's like right at the very end because then he just looks up and the, the movie's over. But I just thought it was such an elegant shock. I. I the thing I like about it, I think most of all, is that um, there's a lot of withheld noise in this movie. There's a lot of with it, there's yeah. a lot of withheld audio. You can see characters' mouths moving. You can imagine right. um, what they're saying, and there's not a lot of satisfaction in that. So for the movie to to end essentially in the soundtrack, I thought was interesting. Yes, yes, and and I love that um, that. Um... Sophia turns around and you, you only get like half a second yep. boom, and it's over. Like you don't get the, and the credits come on. It's perfect. And you, you, your mouth drops open and you're, you almost you, like, you can't catch up with the movie for about 10 seconds. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought it was, <laughs> it's certainly un, an unforgettable ending. Yes. Yes. It is unforgettable. So, um, and I think, and it's a great thing about like, you know, what's this movie about? It's about, if you ask Paulo, you say it's about, um, you know, it's not something I planned, but it's, it's, it's about how I lost control. But at least I did it for the right. right reasons. He would try to justify his own actions, I think, as much as he tries to justify his kids, right? Well, I, the, the, their anger seems very interrelated. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. good. All right, good Thanks talk. very much for listening, everyone. And we'll Thanks see you for next listening. time. See you next time. Bye-bye.